0: All right, guys. Thanks so much for coming. Really appreciate it. And uh, so, so as we know, we're, we're just uh, just a, a couple of days away from from Pesach and and for a Seder night, and uh, there are so many lessons, practical lessons about uh, just kind of getting through life that we can learn from from the from the the, the Seder and, and from Pesach in general, and and just uh, just you know, the, the Pesach and and it, it, it's the it's the model our tradition is is that it's the model for all salvations. so so if you look into if you look into how it happened, you can find out so much about just the way God works in the world. and um, and there's so many there's so many instructive things about how uh, how we look for salvation and and how maybe how how it actually comes, you know, because, you know, I'm reminded of a story. It's one of my favorite stories, but um, it sort of illustrates the point. When when my uh, first child was born, and I didn't really have any experience with uh, babies or anything like that, and they 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 don't have the capacity young, very young children, newborns to see very far. They can just see like uh, I don't know how many inches in front of their face, and that's it. And our baby was crying and crying, and, you know, I thought, okay, he's hungry, let me get him, give him a bottle. And so I said to him, look, I'm making you, uh, I'll make you a bottle, I'll make you a bottle. So, I don't, I don't know, if he understood that, I guess babies don't speak English necessarily. But, but I was trying to reassure him, that's the point, I was reassuring him, and he wasn't responding to the reassurance, he was crying and crying and crying, and I was making the bottle, knowing that this is what he needed, and yet he was crying and crying. He, he didn't see it, and, and I filled up the bottle, and, and I had it, you know, maybe a foot or two from his face, and he still didn't see it. And I'm thinking to myself, this is what he wants, and he's crying and he's crying, and then finally I put the the bottle in his mouth, and he stopped crying. And he was happy. That's, it was like, ah, it's exactly what he wanted. And it struck me that that's, that's me, that's us, that, that's everyone. That so often God is preparing our salvation right in front of our eyes and we don't have the eyes to see it. And so, it's very instructive to know to have sort of like a, a model case in salvation, which is what the, the Pesach story is, the redemption of the Jews out of Egypt. That's what it is. So if there's certain modes of salvation that come down then, we can apply them to our own lives because we see this is how God saves people. Now, God has many, many ways of saving people. But at least this is one one classic way that it happens. So, maybe the first thing that we, we have to look at, and um, it's, it's almost funny, it's almost funny, and yet, um, and yet it's not a joke. And that's that the order, the, the, the way the Seder is conducted is it's called a Seder. Seder means order. Now, anyone who's ever been to a Seder knows that there's no order to this Seder. You're opening matzahs and you're taking plates off the table, then you're putting them back, then you're, then you're washing at times that you wouldn't think you'd be washing, and you're washing at the table instead of at the sink, and you're dipping things, and you're dipping things multiple times, and you're eating things that you would never eat, you know? Things that, like, if you... You know, there are people, when it comes to mar, the bitter herbs, they don't want to just, they want to actually, like, um, you know, chop it right there at the table. So it should be maximum effect. And, and I've done it so that literally tears have been flowing from my eyes, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it, it can be super strong. or. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, is that the whole, and then you're hiding food, and then you're rewarding kids for having stolen Food and you know, so so <laughs> and you're negotiating to get back something you may not even be hungry for. So what I'm trying to suggest is is that this the notion of calling that Balagan, that, that sort of like craziness, a Seder and, and and ordered, you know, like the model of order is interesting. It's it's striking. And yet, I think that the sages are, are communicating something extremely deep. And by the way, I heard from Rev. Shlomo, who said in the name of uh, uh, Shisk that, that the Haggadah was written by Eliyahu. And so, so this, this divine order that's come down, <clears throat> which seems to be the opposite of order, is teaching us something very important about our lives. which is that um, something doesn't have to necessarily make sense to be in order. And that the definition of order is from God. It's not from us. And that some things that seem like... Some things that we're, we're sort of asking this question, how could it be the Seder which seems to be like it's one crazy event after the other, but it's called the Seder, it's called in order. So God is teaching us what real order is. It's not necessarily our expectations of what order is. And sometimes that means in our own life, if we apply that to our own life, that means maybe just letting go a little bit. If things don't happen exactly when we want them to happen, or as we want them to happen, then maybe, maybe that doesn't mean that the world is falling apart. Maybe, maybe it just means that's just how God is running the world. And that there is an order to it. And that certainly is the case in our own lives. And so, so, so that's, 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 that turns the entire Seder into a meditation of sorts. You know, as things sort of roll out, right? because who who eats a potato dipped in salt water as like an appetizer <laughs> or a little parsley. you know what you you're serving steak tonight, honey? a barbecue that's great. you know what I would love a little <laughs> parsley dipped in salt water before the steak. that would be who does that? No one does that but but. <laughs> But in other words, when you hit the initial conundrums of the, of the Seder process, as it unfolds, use it as a meditation. That just as this is unexpected, that I know that this is by divine providence. So, God, when the next thing happens in my life that I just can't wrap my brain around, let me also know that it's from you. You know? And you can really pray for strength at the Seder. The Chernobyl Rebbe says that basically, basically, okay, so he, he wants to give an answer to a question that everyone asks. It's a very old question. You know, when the Jews uh, were redeemed from Egypt, we had really, I mean, we, we had good things still that about us, no question about it, but we really had fallen to a very, very low level. says, it says that we had fallen to the, out of 50 levels of impurity, to the 49th level of impurity. And there's even an opinion, I forgot just a second who says it, that there is no 50th level of impurity. Right? So, whatever the lowest level we could have fallen to, that's where we fell to. And in fact, I heard a beautiful, I heard a beautiful thing from my brother-in-law, giving a shot, a, a, an explanation of what is the 49th level of impurity. What does it mean that we fell to that low place? What does it mean that if Moshe had come a moment later that, that we wouldn't have been able to be saved? What, what does that mean exactly? And listen to this. I love the, I love the non-mysticism of this answer. You know, it's just, it's just totally like straight, rational, heartbreaking answer, which is that if we had been in exile in Egypt another moment, when Moshe showed up, if he said, okay, it's time to be redeemed, the Jewish people would have said, redeemed from what? And then he would have said, from slavery. And they would have said, what do you mean? We're slaves? No, no, no. To do, to do what you have to do in life, to accomplish what you need to accomplish. There's something more that we need to accomplish. So that's really, if you think about it, that's really heartbreaking. That, that a person, that the, the full blossoming of exile, the full expression of exile means that a person forgets that they can do more in life. Or that more is expected of them, or that the degradation that they're living in is is uh, is something to be resisted or overcome even. That it's just you know this is just what it is. So. So let's keep on going. So it's a meditation over order. And you see another expression of that. You know something? Before I just tell you this idea from Beshalach, um, let me just get back to this notion of the Chernobyl Rebbe. So when, when, when the Jews were, were uh, crossing the Red Sea and the waters were going to come down and they were going to wash away the Egyptians. Or maybe, I'm not ex- exactly sure when this question came up. Maybe it was before the Red Sea had opened. I'm not sure exactly when it happened. But the angels asked this big question. The, the, the accusatory angels asked a big question in heaven. And they said, why are the Jewish people, who, as we just said, had descended to this 49th level of impurity, why are they any more worthy of a miracle to be saved, and the Egyptians, both of them worship idols. Why should the Jews be saved, and the Egyptians be punished? So that's boy, that's that's heavy duty, right? That's the, the angels themselves are saying that. And so it turns out that, that we did have um, reasons to be saved. And now, and there are many answers to this question. But I want to tell you what the Chernobyl Rebbe says, because it gets back to us and what we are able to accomplish at the Seder uh, individually and as, as a community. He said, you know, Seder night, Seder night is the capital of Chesed. It's the capital of all of the kindness, all of the goodness that Hashem is flowing into the world for the entire year. So Seder night, you're really at the gates of goodness and it's just it's just pouring out that night. Okay? And that that the Jews believed that God was going to save them. So they were able to sort of like harness all that goodness and turn it into a concrete virtue through their belief. And that belief that they had was the Mila, was the sort of like the check in the plus column that then saved them and distinguished them at the time of the splitting of the Red Sea. So in other words, when we're sitting Seder night, we have to be aware of the fact that there's a tremendous flow coming down. And if a person can 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 take that and turn that into a concrete resolve of some sort, even if it's just to believe in Hashem more, then they have something very special which is a which will be a guardian for them through the year. So it's something that I've mentioned a couple of times, but it's important to have it in mind, and I just want to say it again. Please keep in mind the fact that when we had the first Seder, which is celebrating our freedom, we hadn't left Egypt yet. We were still technically slaves, and yet we were celebrating our freedom while we were still slaves in Egypt. A full-on celebration of our freedom. Now, God, in his infinite wisdom, since he was going to take us out the next night, right, or the next morning, couldn't he have said, okay, tomorrow night you'll have the Seder. So for all time you'll have the Seder once you've left the border of Egypt. I mean, it would have been the easiest thing in the world to to do. In fact, it would have been even more logical to do it that way. And yet God is giving us the, the deepest, deepest teaching about what it means to be free. He says, no, 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 no. Look around you. You're in Egypt, but where are you really? You're in my arms. You're with me. Okay, so it looks like Egypt. It doesn't look so good. You think you're any less with me? You think I'm any less running the entire world? I want to give you the power for all times to be able to be in the darkest place and to understand that you're free no matter what you see around you, and not to be afraid. That's an incredible gift that God gave us to celebrate our freedom while we were still slaves in Egypt. And remember, there's another aspect of it. It's, not, it, 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 it's something that concretizes this idea. So it's not just an idea. The eating of matzah itself, remember, there's, there's only one positive commandment which which the Torah has us do at night. It's just if you learn through the mitzvahs. That's just the way it works out. That's the eating of matzah, Seder night. So God, with the matzah, the positive night always stands for exile and darkness in our lives. So when we eat the matzah, God is telling us that we have the power to break through any darkness in our lives. Not to be afraid, but what we see around us. You know, so many of us, and it's human nature to a certain degree, and, uh, we're gonna talk about this in terms of searching for hummets in a second. Once we see too much opposition, we shut down. Right? We just shut down. And so God is saying, you know something? At nighttime, eat matzah. You know, when the going gets tough, eat matzah. You know, when it's nighttime, that's when you've got to make a positive play. You've got to make a move. Open up the gates. Open up the gates. So, so everyone knows that before, before Pesach starts, you've got to get rid of all of the bread products, all of the chametz. And there's a, a very interesting uh, sort of way of, of searching for it, which is you have to use the light of a candle. And the Gomorrah says you can't use the light of a torch. So it seems strange. A torch gives off a lot of light, right? So if I'm looking in the darkness for, you know, things that I shouldn't have in my house or on a much deeper level, things that I shouldn't have inside of me because everyone knows that the search for chametz is really the search that we do looking into ourselves, into our own actions, trying to get all the anger out, Right? Because anger is compared to idol worship. it? Why am I so angry at you? Because I think you did it. Everything comes from God. That doesn't mean if someone does something bad to you that they're not responsible. They are responsible. They shouldn't do something bad to you. But you have to understand what the source is. Right? If you attribute... What is all idol worship? All idol worship is because people don't think high enough to the ultimate source. You know, there are stratas and stratas and stratas of, of, of the heavenly realms. And there are angels, all different types of angels. And there's a, there's a, uh, there's a side of kedusha, the side of holiness, and there's what we call the, the sitra Akra, the, the other side, the, the forces of impurity. All the way up. But eventually, all the way at the top of heaven is Hashem, who permeates all of the realms and it's all one, and it all works for him, and there's no contradiction, it's all an ultimate perfect oneness. But the mistake that, that people who don't grasp the oneness of God and fall into the, the trap of idol worship is, is that when they look for where something is coming from, they'll think, they'll, 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 their mind will start to climb through the spheres, but then they stop before they get to all the way to the top. So, people will worship the sun when they want their crops to grow. But they didn't think, who makes the sun? Right? So, ultimately, idol worship is a failure of imagination. It's a a shortcoming in terms of investigating the source of all things. So, now we said, let's get back to the question. We said that when we want to get rid of The chametz, we're really looking inside of ourselves, getting rid of all the anger. Right? Understanding that everything comes from above. All of our flaws. So why wouldn't you want to use a torch? The more light, the better. No. (laughs) If you get too good a look at your shortcomings, (laughs) you just shut down. Right? So God, again, in his chesed says, use a candlelight, little by little by little. Just, you know, maybe find one thing inside of you that needs to be fixed and work on that. And then you'll feel good after you fix that thing. You'll want to fix something else. Success leads to success, right? And uh that's the way to proceed. You know, too much light sometimes. It's... uh now I always think about um, I always think about something uh, that I heard from Reb Shlomo that sometimes people have what he calls uh, a truth attack. That's a truth attack when you decide that you want to tell someone else everything that's wrong with them. <laughs> so I heard uh, another rabbi say on another occasion. When a person gets that, that feeling, before you say it, think it over five times, and then don't say it. <laughs> so, so let's go on to uh, another aspect. This is something that um, I was sitting with my my dad uh, in the car on the way over, and we were trying to sort of go over what what we would cover today and my father said that he was reading last night um, uh, another very famous question, another classic question that's asked Seder night about the Haggadah, which is that Moshe's name, Moshe, who, right, who is the leader who took us out of Egypt, didn't, his name isn't mentioned in the Haggadah. And I guess I heard that technically it's mentioned once, but it's at the end, maybe in one of the songs or something like that. In the formal Haggadah itself, I, I don't know that it's, that it's mentioned. If it is mentioned, maybe it's mentioned once. I don't know. Or not at all. Or not at all. I think it's not at all. Okay. So that, again, that's another oddity. Why would, you know, he's the star. He's the star of the whole story of leaving Egypt. How come he's not getting any, uh, you know, there are actors. You know, I am a writer, so there are actors who will tell you how good a script is based on how many lines of dialogue they have. And they count, <laughs> you know. Oh, this is a very good episode this week. It could be the worst written one of all, but if they've got a lot of lines, that's the definition of a good episode, right? So, so anyway, here is getting virtually no press, right? So the, there are answers to this question. I'll give you one answer. One answer is that um, one, one should be focused that, that it was God who took us out of Egypt. You know, simple as it is, right? Okay, but then I heard a, another answer that I like uh, very, very, very much, which is very deep, and I heard it from Reb Shlomo, and he said, he said the following, and Dad, I, I dedicate this to you, um, which is he says that there are two there are two kinds of teachers. There are two kinds of teachers. There's uh and everyone keep in mind that really the classic Seder is really done with a person's family, you know. That's traditionally a person's with their family. If you can't be with your family, you know, it's still very special to be with friends or in a community or, or, or whatever it is. You know, however you do it, it's just the main thing is just to be there. But really the classic model from from the time that we were in Egypt is that family units got together. And the family unit would eat the Korban Pesach, okay? So it was really done as a family. So there are two, two really main influences in a person's life. There's the person's Rebbe. That's the person's teacher who's giving them over, you know, you know, all the particulars. And then there's the person's parents. And... That the reason Moshe's name isn't mentioned in the Haggadah, Moshe is Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu means Moshe our teacher. Moshe is the preeminent teacher for all time. That's that's who it is. But that what's being communicated, the belief, the belief in God, and the belief that the Redeemer is going to come and that the, the world is going to be healed and that we're going to be taken out of this exile. That deep, deep, deep belief can only be given over in that special way like a parent does to a child. It's a, it's a level of learning that's even beyond what a Rebbe can give to a student. It's really from a parent to a child. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu's name isn't mentioned. That's what Rav Shlomo says. So, you know, I want to share with you uh, a thought that I I, I, I just learned uh, in the name of the Vilna Gon from Rabbi Smiles that I thought was special and it's something to, to have in mind when you go through the four cups of uh wine or, or or grape juice or whatever it is for the for the for the Seder. And uh, the Vilna Gun says something really special. And there's almost like <laughs> there's something very sort of funny in in, 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 in the middle of this laugh, I think. Which is that uh, the first cup, that's Kiddush right? So the first cup, he says that the four cups takes you through the history of the world. From now Till 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 the perfection of the world, so the first cup is kiddush, so that stands for everyone making themselves holy, right? That's everyone kind of getting their acts together. And after you finish making yourself holy, the second cup of wine, that goes on the days of Mashiach. That's the arrival of Mashiach. And um, the third cup of wine. You say over benching, you say over the meal, and that correlates with the this great suda that we're told that we're going to have this this great meal that we're going to have where we're going to eat um, the leviathan which is uh, translated as the, the the leviathan, which was this massive, giant whale-like fish that. God originally put two of them into the world at the time of creation and he saw that they're so huge and massive, if there are two of them, they're going to destroy the world. So he took one of them and he saved it as the feast for the righteous at the end of days. Now the Vilna points out, and this is sort of the, the humorous thing, the Vilna Gon points out that that meal is going to take place after the resurrection of the dead. So, Rabbi Smiles said to me, So that means that after everyone is resurrected from the dead, it's time to eat. Like, it's so Jewish. It's so, that's so great. Can you imagine? We rise from our graves and then there's an announcement everyone proceed to the dining hall. <laughs> exactly. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It really is. So, so I, I tell you, for those of you who are looking for your soulmates, let me just tell you a thought that uh, comforted me during my search, <coughs> which is that, um, you know, uh, and then we'll get up to the fourth cup in a second. Well, let me just finish that thought and I'll get back to the Leviathan. So, the fourth cup, then, is the is Olam Haba. And we say that at the end of the Seder during Hallel. And um, Rabbi Smiles pointed out to me that it's a special thing if you can hold your, your cup during Hallel, during the whole Hallel. I think that's, a, you know, that's an expert level kind of thing, you know, like the double black diamond slope, you know what I mean? But if you can, if you can hold the cup during Hallel, apparently that's a, an extra special thing. And that's, Hallel is just the total praise, that's just total thank you to God and praising God and that's the fourth cup and that's, that's talking about, you know, that's talking about already the, the perfected world. That's Olam Okay, so the first cup is you're making yourself holy. The second cup is the arrival of Mashiach. The third cup is the meal of the leviathan uh, after Tachiyah Samasim, after the resurrection of the dead. And the fourth cup is Olam That's the, that's said over Halel. That's the, that's the perfection of the world. Okay. So now, what's this sort of uh, side thought about the Leviathan? So, I thought to myself, isn't it strange? I mean, it sounds like a, kind of like a, a simple question, but I haven't seen it asked. So, which is that God knew that these fish were so big, if there were two of them, male and female, right, I assume, if there were two of them, that they would destroy the world. So if he, he must have known that in advance. If he knew that in advance, why did he put both of them down to begin with? So, so I wanted to say like this, that because the way God runs the world, he doesn't bring some, something into this world, a living creature into this world, without bringing its match into this world. You know? Even if he sees that it's going to destroy the world. Right? Which, of course, he doesn't allow to happen. So, so, but he doesn't bring any of us into this world without bringing our soulmate into the world also. And I thought to myself, that gave me a lot of... That's, that told me that my soulmate is out there. And I don't want to destroy the world. And I hope she doesn't either. So, <laughs> So, how much more so, you know, should we be... <coughs> Zohar to, to to find each other, so so maybe maybe during the third cup, that might be a time to just say a prayer. Everyone should find their soulmates. That might be like a little bit of a window to daven there, you know. And speaking of davening, there's an even more opportune time to daven. That's um. That's uh Rav Shlomo's Minug, and if you can do this, it's, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful, beautiful tradition and it will transform your Seder, which is that when you open up the door for Eliyahu, right, for Elijah the prophet, you open up the door. So Rav Shlomo would have everyone, like, you know, you, can tra- you can't light a new fire because it's Pesach, but you can transfer flames, which means that with the flames that are still burning, you can take a candle and you light the candle and everyone takes the candle and goes outside, walks through the door that's been opened for Eliyahu and you just stand out there and you daven for, for everything, whatever you pray for, whatever is in your heart. And you know, because the door is open for Eliyahu, Eliyahu announces the arrival of, of, of Mashiach, of the perfection of the world, so to speak, just like something happens below, so it's happening above. So all of the doors are open. All of the gates are open to your prayers at that moment. And, um, even if you can't necessarily, uh, get out there with a candle, just the opening of the door, that's really the time to, to in for everything. And, uh, and so, I just want to, um, I just want to end on, uh, just one, something that happened to me yesterday which um which was meaningful to me, maybe it will be meaningful to you, so uh i I bought my wife a pair of uh sort of uh of earrings. i I thought they were nice. I, I think they were special. they were made by an artist, and you know they were they were uh they weren't cheap <laughs> but you know they, it's not like they were filled with diamonds or anything like that, but they you know it was it was a nice pair. And uh, anyway, it, it happened that uh, sometime over yesterday, my one of them was missing. And so that that was a sort of a, a source of sadness. And uh, my wife sort of like looked around the house for it and couldn't find it. And she said to me, I thought it was in the house, but who knows, you know. And they, I don't know if you're an expert on earrings, but some of them have like little... Latches, bless you. Some of them have little, sort of like, almost like I don't know what you call them, latches or locks behind them that keep them on. Others just don't, and so those are the ones that are you lose most easily. And that was this kind. So she said, "Well, look, when you walk back for for shul, I was going back for to hear the Shabbos drasha mincha." She says, "When you go back to shul, just check along the sidewalk, because maybe maybe you'll find it." And I thought. Well, okay, I, I'm, I'm not gonna find it. Come on, so, and then, so I don't know if you've ever had to look for something like that, but I left, I left the house, and you know, you have to walk with your neck like at shoe level, which is sort of uncomfortable, <laughs> and and I'm walking and I'm just, kind of looking. And, you know, I had to also get there, so I'm not walking slowly. I'm walking at a normal speed in this sort of, like, hunched-over position. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, am I even going to find it? Even if, even if I were to walk by it, theoretically, I, would I even see it? And every once in a while, I walk by a paperclip, and I noticed the paperclip, so that gave me some strength. So if I noticed the paperclip, that's silver. Maybe I notice something that's gold, you know? So I'm walking, I'm walking. I walked one, two, three, four blocks. Nothing, you know. And at this point, you know, (laughs) my neck had sort of just, my chin had just sort of settled at my chest, you know. (laughs) And I'm just kind of walking. And sure enough, there it is. I, I took a step and just clear as day, there's the earring right on the sidewalk. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I picked it up put it in my pocket, you know, thank God. And uh, thank God for all the things that we think are lost but aren't lost. That are there that we don't know are there. So that was good for another block worth of praise of God. (laughs) Before I ran out of ideas on that one. (laughs) (laughs) um, but I thought of something else and this is the point of why I'm telling you this story which is that um, Pesach night more than anything else can as as I understand it to my limited understanding if I want to sum it up in one sentence to, to, to tell to my children this is what I say I say children, just like God promised us that he was going to take us out of Egypt, and even though it was a long time and we worked very hard, but he took us out of Egypt, just like Hashem kept his promise, Hashem has also promised us that he's going to bring Mashiach and just like he kept the promise of taking us out of Egypt, he's also going to bring, make that promise come true also, he's also going to keep that promise and he's going to bring Mashiach as well. And that's it. That's, that's, that's the entirety of Seder night, as, as I understand it, right there. And you know, day after day comes, week after week comes, year after year comes, and Mashiach hasn't come yet. Decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium, and it's like I was walking and I just saw concrete, 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 concrete. What am I doing? This is foolish. Why am I even looking? And then there it was. This shiny gold object. And that's what it's going to be. A day is going to come. It's going to be like today. It's going to come. And there's Mashiach. And and that's... That, that's, that's just what it's going to be. And so, um, so these days are so special. These last days before Pesach are so special because one of these days, and let it be today, let it be now, we're actually going to bring the Passover offering, the Korban Pesach, in Yerushalayim, in the base of Migdash, and there's going to be a massive ingathering of the exiles and um, now is the time for it to happen because, because Pesach is Wednesday night right so, so it's in the air it's in the air and whether you think it's in the air or you don't think it's in the air, you believe it's in the air, you don't believe it's in the air, it doesn't matter because it's in the air. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the reality whether you accept it or not, whether you like it or not. It, it's, it's now. It's now. And it, and it can still happen. And I just want to... I just want to end with this story, a beautiful story I heard from uh, Rabbi Moshe Weinberger, uh, at the Eish Kodesh Institute in, uh, on Long Island, a fantastic exchange between the Yidah Kodesh and the Pshizka Rebbe, Rev Simcha Bonum. And they were sitting down and uh, the Yidah Kodesh says to the Pshizka, says, uh, he says, What do you think it's going to be like? Like, How is it going to happen? Like, What's it going to be like, really, like the nuts and bolts of it, like in terms of everyday life? What's it going to be when Mashiach comes? How's it going to be? So if Shizu Karebi says, you know something? It's going to be a night just like tonight, and people are going to come home from work, they're going to eat dinner, they're going to daven Mariv, they're going to go to sleep, and then they're going to hear a noise and they're going to open up their windows and they're going to look out and there's going to be a commotion and the, the person's going to ask what's going on and they're going to hear Mashiach is here. So after the Peshizka has said his answer he said to the Yid HaKodesh, who was his Rebbe says to the Yid HaKodesh, he says how do you think it's going to happen? He says, you know something, I agree with you. He says, I agree with you. It's going to be a night just like tonight. People are going to come home from work. They're going to eat dinner. They're going to daven mariv. They're going to go to bed. He says, but here I disagree with you just one point. He says, they're not going to be able to go to sleep. In other words, that energy that, that 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 energy of mashiach, that energy of perfection, is going to be so alive in the air that no one is going to be able to go to sleep. And uh it's here right now and the more sensitive ones among us feel it right now and uh I just bless us that we should all feel it and that it should keep us awake in the best way. Not rolling in our beds as they say, catching the bed where you can't get to sleep but you don't get out of bed. (laughs) But that it should keep us awake in the sense that it should just drive us drive us to doing good and beautiful things that will bring so much pleasure to Hashem that He won't be able to hold Himself back any longer and that He should just Finish the process of creation and the perfection of the world. It should be a good Pesach for all of us. Yeah. Is there a class-